Welcome to the Fearless Warrior Podcast. This is a place where warriors are shaped. I'm your host, Danny Timras, and it is my personal mission to help you awaken your warrior spirit. Fearless Warrior isn't the one who has no fear. It is a warrior who stays with the fight no matter the struggle, fear, or circumstances. The real warriors have the discipline, grit, and tenacity to chase their dreams and stay on their path. Are you one of them? Tune in and learn from the warriors of today and start carving out the warrior within. Have you ever felt like your life was falling apart beneath your feet? If yes, you're not alone. And to be fairly honest, it's probably an experience that each of us go through at some point in life. Louis Johnson was exactly in this place seven years ago after going through a traumatic divorce. Even though she spent most of her life in Edinburgh, Scotland, she decided to move to Vancouver, Canada soon after her divorce and start her life over. Or till today, Louise has called Vancouver her home since 2013. While she focused on furthering her career in sales and marketing, Louise wrote her first memoir in 2019, Blue Who, following a transformative six-year period. In this episode, we dive into Louise's experience of healing from traumatic experiences. We discuss how she regained her strength and discovered a new version of herself, what inspired her to write her first book, the myths of perfection and the fact that there is no perfect ending. We talk about the gift of giving yourself grace, sitting with emotions, and giving yourself the permission to feel. There's so much more we dive into at this episode with Lou. This is a very genuine, warm, and friendly conversation that I deeply enjoyed. A few things to know about Lou. If you're looking for the next best thing to read, then know this. Her writing style is unbashed, and her stories are anything but sugar-coated. As a writer, Louise believes in conveying her experiences using a mixture of stark reality and dark humor. And as a woman, she's not afraid to tell the truth, especially if that truth is hard. So check out her book on Amazon or her website, www.louisejohnsonauthor.com. All right, let's get ready to rock. Welcome to the next Fearless Warrior podcast. Today I'm joined here by Louise Johnson. Louise, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I'm excited to have you. You're such an inspiring person. So many interesting things that you have gone through, adventures and lessons. Uh, I can't wait for you to share with our audience. For, for those who are not familiar with you yet, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? For sure, yeah. So I am 36, originally from Edinburgh in Scotland. I'm now living in Vancouver, Canada. But I actually grew up in Egypt, um, in Cairo, for six, seven years of my childhood. But a couple of years ago, after I had moved to Vancouver, I started writing a dating blog. The, the move to Vancouver was sort of prompted by me getting divorced back in Scotland. So I moved out to Vancouver. I sort of started to rebuild myself and my life and started writing a blog about the kind of dating stories that I was experiencing getting back into the world of dating. And then last year, I actually published my first book, which I've always wanted to do. And it is a memoir, essentially, of the six, the first sort of six years of my life here. So from getting divorced to, to sort of a few years ago, and it's called Lou Who. And so it was kind of a, a super exciting time for me last year, just being able to publish that and sort of get that out into the world. But I also do have a full-time job working in marketing for a tech company. So currently trying to sort of manage both aspects of my life. And I also got a puppy in COVID. So also raising uh, now a one-year-old puppy, but I'm having a lot of fun doing that too. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So you definitely have a lot on your plate, but it seems that it keeps you happy and busy as well. So uh, that's exciting. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely busy. Nice. Nice. So tell me a little bit more about your book and your desire to, to write it. Yeah, I guess I've, I always sort of felt like there was a book in me. I remember years and years ago, kind of before even the move to Vancouver or my divorce, actually, I think before I was even married, I remember sitting with friends at dinner and I said, you know, I, I, I feel like I'll, I'll write a book one day. And I guess at that point, I wasn't really sure exactly what I was thinking I would write it about. But it was obviously sort of a seed that was planted quite early. And I think for me, I just love human stories. Most of what I read are autobiographies. Most of what I watch are documentaries. So there is something for me about the real human experience. And I love the nuances 
there's so many nuances to everyone's stories are so different and so unique. And yet there's so many recurring, repeating themes throughout that kind of really tie us all together. And I think for me, that was kind of one of those things which I wanted to explore with writing the book in that it was a very, it is a very, very personal story, but I truly believed that there was aspects in it that could speak to so many people. And you didn't have to have been married or divorced or moved to another country for it to kind of have resonance. And I think that's really what we're looking for in life is to be seen, to be acknowledged for someone to sort of understand where we are and who we are. And so that was sort of why I I wanted to write the book was just to sort of play into a lot of that. But I was actually going to wait to write the book until I had, and I'm using air quotes here, but when I say a better ending, I think there was like this feeling of, oh, I'm going to tell the story of me getting divorced and rebuilding my life. And the end of the book should be this perfect fairy tale. And then she met this perfect guy and they got married and they had kids. And that wasn't really forthcoming in my life. And so I was like, well, the book, you know, the book isn't really done yet. The story isn't done yet. And and then when I actually spoke with the owner of the self-publishing agency that I, I worked with, she was like, but that's the story. That's that there isn't always a perfect ending. That's that there are milestones that look different. And I talk about it a lot in the book that what society tells us are measures of success are not the only measures of success that we should be attempting to achieve. And, and that's certainly one of the themes of the book. I couldn't agree more. And to be honest, like there are no perfect endings or even just, you know, perfection is a myth. Like, so I'm a recovering perfectionist and uh, it was because of my perfectionism that, you know, I actually battled with depression and some other challenges in my life. And it took me to hit my rock bottom to really give up some of those limiting beliefs that were really harming me. And perfectionism was at the, at the root cause of that. So I love it that you're calling this out because so many of us may fall into this trap and then we may want all of these things that society makes us believe that that's what you should want. That's what you should achieve. And if you don't have it and what's going on, you know, fix your life. So I like it that you're challenging that. Yeah. And I think I, I, for so long, I think I just felt so off track with it. You know, I was on track, I, you know, in terms of these, these societal tracks, I was on it. I, you know, I was, I did one university and then I got a job and then I was living with my boyfriend. We got married you know, it was all like, okay, I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. And then when that all falls apart and it's not anything like you thought it was going to be. And also in a situation that I didn't really have a lot of control over necessarily, that is really debilitating. That is very destabilizing. And so the more that we can kind of give ourselves the space to not be the the perfectionist. And and I am also a recovering perfectionist, as you say. I love that. That's a lot to do with it. You know, we just, we have this severe sense of must and shoulds and I would rather sort of sort of live with coulds and and what could I do and and what do I want to do so that's definitely been a a shift for me oh absolutely it's a major shift to go from must to could or you know I can so tell me more about kind of your healing path you're talking about your divorce and it's definitely true that when you build your life around certain pillars and then they somehow fall apart and it is debilitating and it can be quite a lot for a person to take in. So how did you cope with this transition and what has helped you rebuild your strength? Yeah, it was incredibly traumatizing. I think that it's um, those core beliefs that you have about yourself, about the person essentially that was closest to me, about the life that I had built were completely removed. And I kind of explain it in the book as I felt like I didn't have an anchor anymore, if that makes any sense. It just was like, there's nothing to fully anchor me down. Now, don't get me wrong. I had a phenomenal support network of friends and family, but there just was this sense of, I didn't know who I was. And I think that talks as well to at that time in my life, I wasn't fully engaged in my own identity, I think because I'd I'd been with my ex-husband since I was 19. And so I think especially because we were younger, we were maybe more prone to sort of do all of our growing together rather than both together and independently. And so when I found myself at, you know, 20, 28, when we got separated, I wasn't really sure who I was anymore. And I also really wasn't sure what I could do like what could life look like if it's not this because I had never considered that before and so 
I think a lot of what I had to do was just for me, it was a, I had to give myself a lot of time. There was a lot of introspection, which I don't think I'd done a lot of before either. Uh, really trying to sit with my feelings, understand them, not rush into anything, which I say, but then I also moved to another continent within about a year. But that was also one of the things that I did. For me, it was a very difficult concept to rebuild my life in the place where we'd had the life that I thought I was going to live forever. And so there was a feeling of, I was so alone in a place where I knew everybody and knew everywhere. Um, And yet I just felt so isolated. And there was a real sense of moving somewhere new would I'd probably also feel alone because I I moved to Vancouver and I I didn't know a single person, but there was a feeling of like, at least then that would make sense. At least that would kind of come with an understanding as to why that was rather than feeling in this entire isolation while surrounded by all of my closest friends and family. So I kind of gave myself that ability to fully restart, reboot as it were. Uh, And not everybody gets that. So I feel incredibly lucky that I, you know, we didn't have children and I had the means to to move country. So I did that. And then it was really once I moved here that I started to discover just a whole host of other tools and sort of coping mechanisms by way of, I got into exercise. I started going to therapy. I started meditating. I did, like I was saying, a lot more kind of introspection and sort of reading on not self-help so much. I kind of hate that term, but more just, again, these human experiences that I could start to relate to and being able to sort of understand and, and hear stories of other people that have gone through significant life changes like this really helped me to sort of start to envisage what life could be like, you know, and I, I really just had to sort of almost live my twenties and my thirties, if that makes any sense. Um, Mm. So there's a lot of kind of going back and and rebuilding and yeah, just a lot of rediscovery. And that is essentially what the book is all about. Wow. It sounds like an amazing book. And even just that great life experience to share with others. It's true that sometimes, you know, uh, for us to find ourselves, we kind of need to find a place where we might be a little bit lost so that we are even so motivated to look for the answers and look in places that, let's say, we wouldn't have ventured out otherwise. And it seems like that this is exactly what you did. So that's very encouraging. Absolutely. I mean, I always feel it's a little bit of a cliche, but it is, in fact, the truth that, you know, we really grow when we do push ourselves outside of our comfort zones. And for me, there was no truer testament to that than me moving to a country or to certainly to a city that I'd never been to, didn't know anyone and, you know, just booked a one way ticket. And, you know, just, I was like, well, you'll, I'll figure it out or I won't and I'll go home. But really just kind of setting myself up for, we're going to go, we're going to explore. We're going to say yes to as many things as we can that feel safe. Cause I think for me, my trauma response was a real need for control. So given that I had lost control, essentially, it felt like I'd lost control of my life. Often in those circumstances, we then yearn for any amount of control that we can get. And so I had definitely started to do that. And it had caused me to be very inflexible, very anxious, very needing to sort of have a sight of everything. And so at the same time as I'm trying to be free and rebuild my life and give myself, you know, all the options that are out there I could take, there was also the sense of of needing closeness and needing certainty and needing consistency. So it was a really interesting juxtaposition. And I talk in the book of when I first moved to Vancouver and most people would probably go out and explore, would go all over the city. And for me, it took me a really long time to actually see all of Vancouver because I was so apprehensive about pushing myself out of my comfort zone, which sounds ridiculous considering I had just moved to a whole new country by myself. But that was almost like that was enough. And then I kind of couldn't go too much further. So I started actually just sort of very slowly, neighborhood by neighborhood, like a couple of streets at a time I would do. And and then I'd get familiar with them. And so it really was when I look back and when I wrote the book, it was such a structured sort of building block approach to to me you know just getting comfortable with myself again and my surroundings it was definitely a challenge and by no means and I also that doesn't some people come out of a situation like mine are and you know bounce back incredibly quickly and, and that's the other thing you know as I say there's so many nuances and uniqueness to each of our experiences but similar themes but for me it was just I just really needed a whole lot of time to, to really feel like I started to meet myself again. 
Yeah, so from what I'm hearing is that it was a lot about time, right? Giving yourself the time that you needed and that the pace that was good for you without yeah. setting expectations on a, you should be already this far or, you know, that far. And also I'm sensing I'm giving yourself permission to take things as you wanted to, right? Um, would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. I think that I, again, was trying to not fall into the trap of society's timelines. And so... I talk in the book about how people started after, you know, maybe a year or so, they would start to sort of say, so are you dating or, you know, what what's dating like? And I was like, I, it's not even crossed my mind. It took me a really, really long time to start dating again. And I was really conscious of that, of not feeling like I should be dating. It, I was like, do I feel ready? No, absolutely not. I, you know, so so trying to give myself that time um, and, and do it on my own schedule sort of thing. I definitely feel like I'm better at that now of giving myself the grace to feel it out for myself, to do it at my own pace and then sort of see what unfolds. I think that's the other thing is that that control and that force that I had had of, of wanting everything to be perfect that it hadn't obviously worked out for me. So there was a sense of wanting to just shift that mindset to be a little more open to possibilities and to, you know, things that I couldn't necessarily plan for. I think that was the the, the other thing was kind of giving, giving up a little bit of that control where I could. That's a massive change. I can relate to this to quite an extent. So I'm a European and honestly, when my husband and I met, I could now, looking back, relate to myself as being quite uptight. And now seven years later, seven and a half years later, I joke, we laugh, we you know do so many things. And it seems it's just such a transformation. But giving yourself the permission, you know, like to open up, to ease up, you know, yeah. all of this, it takes a lot of inner transformation, maybe even like courage, you know, to let go or to always wanting to be perfect or accepted by others and just, you know, wanting to be yourself instead you know that or yeah no absolutely it is a shift and it's interesting how you you talk about that with regards to your relationship in that I think it it is that um a, a change in environment or circumstance or relationship often something that you think is actually very set in yourself can evolve it can change we do change over time that is just the nature of, of being human then add into that kind of life-changing experiences whether mine of, of divorce or yours of actually meeting your husband, like those are essentially transformational sort of experiences in our life. And so it's funny to then see how much that can impact the way that you relate to yourself and to your surroundings. I think that's, it's really been fascinating for me to, to acknowledge that in myself and also start to witness that in other people as well. Totally. Yeah. I, I think it has a, a lot to do with uh, your, your perception of yourself, right? Like, and also, um, how you see yourself in the world, right? Like if you think that unless you control things, you know, things won't go the way you want to, right? Yeah. Versus, you know, letting things flow. These are ultimately very different perceptions. So I love that uh, insight that you just brought in here. Um, so let's imagine. So there might be somebody listening who might be divorced or, you know, perhaps even just going through a similar situation like you. What would you advise to this person as perhaps as they're going through their healing journey? I try not to give advice simply because I position myself not as an expert on anything other than my own life. So I can certainly talk to what I find helpful. And if it's helpful for others, then I would love that. But for me, the things that were the biggest game changers in that sort of, especially the beginning of that journey and that healing process, for me, it was time, like we've discussed. Um, the other thing was gratitude. So I had never, um, I'd never really, it sounds so, now when I think about it, I'm like, how would I never really thought much about gratitude before? I just hadn't, it just had never, was never something that really percolated through my brain all that often or if ever. But there was something about coming out of that situation where I feel like you either kind of have one of two options. You either become very, very bitter and, you know, you ask the why me questions, you wonder why other people have these seemingly very happy relationships and easy lives and why you have to deal with all of, you know, the the stuff that you have to deal with and how, why isn't it fair and when will it be my turn and those sorts of things. Or the alternative is that you find gratitude in the things that you do have and the small wins that you still maintain during the time of the trauma of the healing and really focusing on them. 
there were some days the only thing I found that I could be grateful for was the fact that I got to go back to bed at some point later in the day. There was nothing else that brought me joy in my day. I was so depressed. I was so stressed. There was just so much emotional trauma that I was dealing with. The only thing that I was like, oh, thank God, this is okay. I get to go back to bed now. And so I was like, okay, well, that's that's something to focus on. I mean, ideally it would be, you'd like to have more in your life that you could focus on, but if that's all you have, then let's focus on that. So that was kind of where it started, I guess. And that was unconsciously that, I, that it was gratitude. It was more just find something good to focus on. And then when I moved to Vancouver, I think interestingly, the lifestyle here and a lot of the practices and, and sort of the ways of life and, and mindsets that there are in Vancouver, it is a very, you know, West Coast, a little similar to LA and that's a very kind of healthy green juices and a lot of yoga and, you know, all the sort of diet fads and, and exercise fads and things come up through here. Um, but also because we have the nature of the Pacific Northwest, so we have the mountains and we have the forests, there is this sense of real connection to the land and connection to, to Mother Earth. And as a result of that, I think gratitude especially when there's so much yoga that goes on as well, that there's this real sense of a gratitude practice. And so my first job when I moved to Vancouver was actually with a yoga company. And I didn't know anything about yoga. I had no clue. And all of a sudden I find myself selling yoga bolsters and straps. And I was like, I just thought you needed a mat. I'm very confused as to what this is. But one of the things that it certainly taught me was, or, or introduced me to, I should say, was the sort of yoga lifestyle and, and mindset. And so with it came creating gratitude. And actually I decided as soon as I moved here that every day, once a day, I would stop myself in my tracks and find something to be grateful for. And again, if you haven't ever been to Vancouver, then I can tell you that living in this city, that is not hard to do because it is beautiful. There's, I mean, from most places that you look up, you can see the mountains. It's a gorgeous city. So that is not a hard thing to do. But from where I was, from that mindset, when I moved here, there was definitely a sense of that being still a little bit of a struggle for me, especially when I got, like I said, I, I moved here and there was this sense of kind of the unfamiliar of the new place and a little bit of, of sort of hesitancy around that. That gratitude practice certainly, you know, on days when I was feeling overwhelmed or I was kind of slightly missing home, um, being able to again find those things to focus on and, and be grateful for were, were key to that. So I would say the time piece, the gratitude piece, and then the third, which I only more recently learned is with regards to giving myself grace. I'm a very empathetic person. Um, I like to think I'm a very considerate person, but I'm those things towards other people more so than I have ever been to myself. And so trying to give myself grace, trying to give myself the room to be as I give to other people, I think also has been transformational for me. You know, allowing the past to be what it was, you know, not trying to feel ashamed of it or guilty for anything. Um, you know, living in a shame state, living in a guilt state, it's it's not a way to live. It is not a way to grow or, or prosper. Um, and I think those were really transformational mindset shifts for me was when I sort of started to really think of it in those terms. It was a huge game changer in in that sort of process of healing and feeling more like myself. I think I started to really be like, oh, I think this is maybe who I am, which was just incredibly interesting thing to go through sort of in my mid-30s. Yeah, yeah, you know, I love these three points that you mentioned, especially the one giving yourself grace, because this can be so hard to do. And honestly, I don't think we're taught how to do this, or I'm not sure about yourself, but it wasn't necessarily something I was taught, or it was always the focus was on others and like, hey, you need to be helpful or like take care of others, give, you know, don't be selfish and all of that. But little are we taught about self-care and, and even like this is goes beyond self-care. So can you yep. tell me a little bit more about how you develop or how you learn to give yourself grace and what are some ways how you do that? Yeah, so certainly a big part of that was therapy. A couple of years after I moved to Vancouver, I'd you know been building up my life and and it was going pretty well for all intents and purposes, but there was definitely still some sort of unresolved trauma from my divorce and also my parents divorced when I was a teenager and that there was a, a lot of kind of unresolved issues from there. And so I went to therapy and I met this wonderful therapist who is still my therapist now. And she really just gave myself or gave me the permission to, you know, all the feelings that you have are valid. It doesn't necessarily mean 
that they are right you know in 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 terms of like someone else's experience of the same the same situation but they are still valid and so you know for me there was situations for example from my parents divorce where i had feelings around my mom and and she is wonderful and i had these feelings and i felt so guilty about feeling this way about my mom in that situation and you know julia just really enabled me to see that you can separate yourself from them those feelings don't necessarily have an outcome attached to them and I think when we realize that when we can just let a feeling be and kind of let it sit and know that we are not the feeling, that the feeling is not us, that there is no outcome attached, that there is no physical embodiment of that feeling. I think that for me anyway, has allowed me to be a little more objective about feelings, which sounds about a little counterintuitive, but I think I was always so caught up in them. And I've, I've always, since I was a child, I think I've always been very, um, I overthink things and I've always felt all the feelings as they say. So for me to be able to sort of take a little bit of a step back and look at every situation in that way, but particularly the situations about myself and the feelings that I had attached to me or to other people or to other situations and be just a little more rational, which again, I kind of, I I hesitate to use that word just because feelings often aren't rational, but if I can sort of detach myself from it and give myself the grace to be like, that is absolutely okay for me to feel that way or for me to have felt that way, but it doesn't necessarily impact anything now that, that, that feeling can change with one thought. And I know that's sometimes harder or easier said than done, but it really was about sitting in the feelings and, and having the moment with them, but then also being able to move past them. And I think what I had been doing previously was very much just sitting in the feelings forever, bathing in them, drinking them, just never, never removing myself from them. And so that was kind of where I ended up, like I say, sort of living in this real shame state, having a real sense of guilt about certain things that I had done, um, never really being able to just accept that the things that my husband did in our marriage were less than ideal and you know, and being objective about it. I think I had always had to attach some meaning or some outcome to it. And that's just simply not true. So the more that I learned to do that, the the easier it was to give myself grace just to be, and yes, feel the feelings, but also to move past them. Absolutely. It is true that, you know, all of our feelings are sacred, right? And if we try to disvalidate them they will come haunt us back and you know like they may start as like you know innocent feelings but especially if we ignore them if we try to put them under the rug this is actually when they can um transform into different things and, and sometimes even into diseases so um Absolutely. yes uh, like it is so important to pay attention to your feelings understand what's going on and you know what, what you do is that like you're actually allowing yourself to pause, to reflect, understand what's going on. And that's exactly what we should be doing because otherwise we're just reactive. Imagine you're in a situation, somebody makes you angry and then you lash out on them. Well, then you're kind of in that, you know, automatic response when you don't think about things. And then this is the time also when we may regret our decisions or what we said and whatnot versus when you just give yourself the gift of a, of a pause of, you know, thinking things through, which is what we can do. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you mentioned kind of the, the, the physical manifestation of that as well, because I think that for me, I certainly felt that at the end of my marriage when we separated and 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 I, I saw stress and I saw emotional turmoil really manifest itself physically. And I think our nervous system is built in such a way that it has a lot of memory in that space as well. So I think the more that we can not sit in those feelings to the point where they actually affect our nervous system as well. There's benefits in being able to be a little freer from those emotions. And that's not to say that I don't have feelings or I don't have emotions. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. I am the, I'm still a very emotional person. I am still, uh, I still have, you know, a lot of overthinking. I still do a lot of feeling on a regular basis. It's more just that I can sort of have that reflection on it as well. And and that is, again, where I feel like I've grown the most is really being able to sort of sit back and reflect. And, and essentially, that was entirely what the book was. It was just one big, long self-reflection for me as I was writing it, which was incredibly therapeutic. And I don't think you necessarily have to write a book about your life to be able to do it, but it definitely was a wonderful kind of gift to myself of being able to go back and really reflect on all of those moments and kind of what had got me to where I was. So yeah, it's definitely a 
lesson in just being able to to process and and look at it a little bit differently than feeling very swallowed up by them, which is I think is how I always used to feel. From a child, I used to feel very overwhelmed by feelings. I was never really sure how to process. And again, similar to what you said about, you know, learning to give ourselves grace. As children, we're also not really taught how to process feelings. It's just not it's not part of the school curriculum. Um but I would argue that maybe it should be. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Or even just how parents talk to their children. And, and, you know, I think we have moved a lot as a society in terms of how, um, A, what do we know about this, right? Psychology and like this has become so much more of a day-to-day part of our lives, right? That what we know now is very different from what we knew, you know, 20, 30 years ago, even longer. And how normal these things are right now, or how normal it is, you know, to talk about these things. So we evolve as humans, we learn, we get better. And, and hopefully, you know, then we can also pass it on our, on our children and yeah, like equip them with the tools that maybe we didn't have at the start. But you know, it's always better to learn something along the way than never venturing out into these things. So now uh, you spoke quite a bit about Canada and about a lot of the good things that Vancouver has offered to you. What were some of the challenges about moving to a new country? I would say that I chose Canada and and sort of Vancouver for a number of reasons, partly because I could get a visa, but also because there was a sense of, you know, I'd moved to Egypt when I was seven and that was a very large cultural shock for me and my family coming from Scotland. It was like a different world. And so I wanted to, as moving as a single white female, I was wanting to move somewhere that was culturally going to be a little bit of an easier transition. So Canada sort of came up and I mean, it definitely has for most, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's in a lot of ways, very similar to back home. It's not a huge culture shock, but there were definitely aspects that I was like, oh, okay, that is not how it is at home. And one of them actually was the drinking culture. And so being from the UK and being from Scotland, drinking is a large part of what we do. And, you know, Friday, Friday night drinks after work, sort of very boozy weekends, that is not such a thing here. Now it is for some people for sure, but overall I would say that, and maybe it was sort of the people I was meeting or, or the fact also that I was in, you know, right away my first job was with that yoga company. There was a sense that people were not really going out after work on a Friday because they were going for like an early hike on a Saturday or people weren't going to go for a drink the weekend because they were, I don't know, doing some crazy marathon thing or and at home they're just there's just not that sense of such an outdoors lifestyle I think and so in some ways it was a difficult transition for me because I was very used to kind of the the very social drinking culture of the UK and I also was not at all familiar with the outdoors culture of Vancouver I was not particularly outdoorsy I wasn't really very active I would run a little bit when I got here um, or I I was running back in Scotland and so I I was doing that here but going on hikes or camping or things like that those were not familiar activities to me so that was definitely one of the challenges and I talk about that a few times in the book of sort of the the first time I went on a hike and I was like I don't even have you know I have my running gear but that is it there was nothing else and for me that was the only you know the the nuances of of outdoor workout clothes or just outdoor clothes I was like I I don't even understand what do I need in the same way that I didn't know that for yoga you could also use blocks and straps and bolsters I was really learning a lot so that was definitely part of of kind of the the sort of social and, and cultural pieces but there was also the bigger challenge of just Partly the the family piece of knowing that I had chosen to leave my family, that I had chosen to move here by myself, that was, it still remains one of the biggest challenges of being out here is knowing that kind of all my family are still back in the UK and I'm the one that chose to sort of move abroad. And now that I've been here seven and a half years, you know, in some ways it doesn't feel that long. In other ways, I struggle to believe that I've been away from my family for that long. And my brother had a daughter after I left. And I always say I'm, I'm grateful that they had her after I left because I don't know that I could have let, left the UK if she'd already, if my niece was already here. And so that for me is, is a huge part of sort of knowing that I'm missing her growing up. Uh, there's a lot of guilt that surrounds that. I talk to that in the book as well. I don't know that I'll ever go home for a trip and a visit and not leave feeling incredibly guilty all over again. It's obviously not helped at the moment with COVID when I've now not been home in over two years. So that is is certainly a huge challenge for me and, and a struggle in wanting to be here. But the pros ultimately 
have continued to outweigh the cons in that sense. Um, so those, those tough times or wanting family to be close, like just missing family occasions or, you know, family dinners, even my, you know, my aunt always used to have us down on a Sunday for dinner to hers. And, and I do miss that. And, um, but you know, you find new traditions and you find new sort of family within friends and, that's sort of where that focus has to be. And so um, it was also just really important for me that my mom understood why I was going to stay here. So her understanding of how happy I am here and my life here has been has been a really key part of that, um, sort of allaying at least some of the the fears and, and the guilt in that in that challenge that I faced. This is never easy. I can relate since, you know, my family is also back home in the Czech Republic. And it's funny. It seems that we both have kind of, share, you know, we have shared stories in terms of you've been seven and a half years in, in Canada, I've been seven and a half years in the States. So whenever you move to a different country, it's like starting a, you know, new chapter of your life or almost like a new life. And there's a lot of new things also. Um, you know, it can be quite a disruption at the start until you kind of get used to new things and you put your life in order. But yes, uh, the the family question always kind of remains, right? And ultimately, you have to answer the question of like, are you happy? You know, is this the life you want to lead? And if if that's the case, then that's exactly where you should be. Even though it may not be always easy with family or you miss them, they miss you. But at the end, you need to lead your own life. And you cannot always be looking back about and and thinking about who you're leaving behind. Because then you cannot be really living. Absolutely. Mm. It is about, you know, I, I very much felt like I, you know, like I said, I was 28 when I was separated and, and I had the, the, you know, the ability and the, the sort of freedom to be able to move. And I think that's one of those things where I know that that was such a blessing to really have the opportunity to rebuild the life that I wanted, that felt right, that made up of all the different little bits that I didn't even necessarily previously know that I wanted in my life, but that I had the ability to do that. And so it's one of those things where I felt like it was just, I need to take advantage of that. And like you say, you know, reflecting on whether you're actually happy is kind of one of those stock takes that I do very frequently on my life and on relationships, on jobs, on hobbies. I'm like, is this really what I want to do? And I think that's where, again, that was one of the sort of mindset shifts and and making sure that you do take advantage of it because it can be challenging and it can be that guilt about not being at home. I think if you can counteract that with, but look at what I've built, like, yes, that was kind of a compromise and almost like the sacrifice that I had to make to get the life that I wanted. And, you know, sometimes you don't get to have it all in the one place, but there's a saying and they talk about, it's the the hardship of being loved and loving in many places is that you'll never entirely feel at home again in one. And I think I really, I really resonate with that because it is exactly how I feel about my life. I don't know if I, even if I went back to Edinburgh, I think I would always feel like I was missing Vancouver and and vice versa. I think I will always miss Edinburgh even being in Vancouver. So it's a contradiction, but it's, I think, guess again, that's just one of those life experiences that so many of us, like you were saying as well, you know, so many of us experience that. I think the fact that you miss Edinburgh is a good thing because that tells me that you have lots of good memories. There are people that you love, like you have an emotional connection to that place. And, uh, you know, if you didn't, then maybe you wouldn't miss it, but the opposite shows me otherwise. So in that case, you might, you know, consider yourself, you know, even richer person. Absolutely. I am so grateful to feel so connected to, to multiple places and to be loved and love multiple places. I think that, yeah, you know, I, I do have good memories. And I was saying this to someone just the other day, actually, they had read the book and they said, you know, I loved how you spoke about your wedding in that, you know, despite what happened with your marriage, that it was such a great wedding, that it was so much fun, that it is still one of the favorite, your favorite days. And I was like, truly it was. And I think that's where, again, sort of being able to take some of those emotions out or sit back from them um, and really reflect, it allows me to, to absolutely feel that way. I mean, Edinburgh will always be home, but now so will Vancouver. You have another home, right? Like one doesn't have to replace another. You, you're continuing on your life journey. <laughs> yeah, I'm just spoiling myself. And honestly, of, of all the places to call home, I mean, Edinburgh and Vancouver, and I'm obviously very biased, but are two of the most wonderful cities in the world. So I feel very, very lucky that those are, are my two homes. 
Yes, it's amazing. I got to visit both of those, but um, definitely heard lots of good things. You spoke a little bit about new traditions. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit more about that? Or like, what are some new traditions you created since you moved to Vancouver? Yeah, so one of them actually is around Christmas. So again, you're away from family. And I made it very clear when I moved here to my mom that I was like, you know, I'm not gonna be coming home every Christmas. That's just it's so taxing, both financially, both from a time perspective, traveling in winter is never fun. It's always so much more expensive because everyone is going home. And, you know, sometimes you kind of just you want to kind of stay at your own home and not go home for Christmas. And so my mom, bless her, is very understanding. And she was like, yeah, no, that's, you know, I totally get it. And so I've been home for a couple of Christmases. But the Christmases that I've spent in Vancouver, I've spent with one of my best friends, Keith, who is in the book as well. He is like my gay best friend. He's Irish. So again, he's away from family. And we have spent a number of kind of different sort of Christmases together. But in the ones where both of us have been here, we've always spent Christmas together. And so that's where I talk about kind of friends becoming your family. You know, this year in COVID, it was very difficult because we weren't supposed to be, you know, out with your own household. But I live alone. So I kind of get a little bit of a you get a, a, you can build your bubble outside your home so that I could actually see people. And so Keith and I, there was no question. It was like, of course, we're going to spend Christmas together, regardless of like what other isolation that we need to do to be able to make that happen. We will do that. And so we now also have part of our tradition. And again, this is how I know that I definitely moved to Vancouver previously on Christmas morning. Christmas Eve often is quite a big night to go out back in the UK. So oftentimes a lot of the younger generations in families are a little hungover on Christmas morning. I definitely was on a couple of occasions. But here on Christmas morning, Keith and I will go for a run. And then we actually go for a swim in the ocean. So, you know, again, just a real sort of stark contrast of how my life has changed. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, who am I? How? When did I become this person? <laughs> that previously, I'd be like, oh my god, she's annoying. And I'm not saying that's not true, but it's just very funny because I definitely wasn't who I was before. But now it is a lovely tradition that we have, and I actually, oh god, I hope my mom never listens to this. I actually almost prefer my Christmases in Vancouver just because they're so relaxed and they're so chilled and you know whereas when I go home it's like Christmas dinner for like 23 people at my mom's house so love it love family time of course but you know that coupled with the kind of traveling and jet lag and all those things it does make it very taxing when I go home for Christmas now so the Christmases that I get to have in Vancouver I kind of cherish because they're so quiet and very much on my own terms um, as most of my life is now and for that I'm very grateful so it's those sorts of traditions that I love and I will forever be grateful that I've met people to sort of build those with over here. That's wonderful. And I'm really happy for you that you were able to completely rebuild your life and even just, you know, found, find a different part of you that you maybe haven't uh, met before or, or created. And and this is, you know, really encouraging for everybody who's listening to this is that, hey, anything can happen, right? Like you may be in one spot one day, you may find yourself seeing your life fall apart and few weeks, months, years, you know, like, look, it's a completely different life. And it starts with one simple action, you know, every day. Yeah. And I think it's that intentional as well. And I would hate to sit here and sound like, oh, it's so easy. It's not. It's hard. There were dark times. It was a struggle. It still is. You know, I don't have a great day every day. That's just not how life is. But I think really accepting that and still being able to find the pieces to be grateful for and also still being hopeful. I think that's the other thing is not losing hope and it can be incredibly difficult, but the ability to still think that, wow, you know, the best is yet to come. It has to be. I truly believe that, especially when we are, as I am in my thirties, I would be remiss to think that I'm only depending how old I live. You know, I'm not even halfway through my life right now. So to think that I've had the best times already would be very naive or very short-sighted to, to think that, that the rest of my life wouldn't offer as wonderful experiences as I've had already. And I think that hope is also just a really important part of my mindset. It is, and it goes very well with gratitude. So, yes, as you mentioned before. <laughs> Absolutely. Fantastic. This has been such a fun already. Um, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners that you haven't shared yet? Um, the blog that I write is dating stories. Very, you know, kind of funny, slightly sometimes shocking, very random also. And there's definitely a place for that. But I really wanted the book to be this very real life, non-sugar-coated, raw, vulnerable 
representation of those years of my life because I do think that that is when we get to feel the most authentic and the most real is when we can be vulnerable and when we can do those that you know do those things that lead us to a life that we want as opposed to a life that we felt that we should have and that is kind of so much of what I cover in the book so it is it's you know finding the humor as well I will say that because you know a lot of what we've talked about is obviously fairly sort of in-depth you know life stuff and but the humor has been also part of what's brought me through the entire process and I wouldn't be here without it I think is like finding the funny moments being able to sort of laugh at yourself being able to laugh at situations and I mean even the dating stories that I write like I always say unless you know if I got a lesson or a laugh then it was worthwhile you know the date was worthwhile even if it was absolutely horrific and I think that is the other piece is like finding things to laugh at you know finding the humor finding the light as well there can be a lot of darkness especially when you're going through a traumatic experience or healing from trauma like that and being able to find the lightness in yourself in others in whatever that may be, I think is the key to to keeping that hope alive as well, like we were just talking about. You know, I wonder whether um, um, the humor kind of lesson, whether that's something that you've also um, learned from your time spent in Egypt. Yeah, so my husband, he's Egyptian, and I can tell that a big part of the Egyptian culture is uh, A, taking life with humor, but I also say the way Egyptians communicate is through humor. It's just amazing. It's like they have such a lighthearted spirit and uh, you know they laugh about everything or even like they make jokes out of everything but also it's it's partially also a coping mechanism because there's so many things they could be depressed about there are so many challenges and yet you know they need to keep on living and look at the things from the bright side which I think is a huge strength so that's funny because yeah it is true when I you know I and I still have many friends in Egypt and when I think back to living there and, and my interactions with all of my friends, yeah, they, they don't take a lot of things very seriously. They <laughs> <laughs> were um, very lighthearted. Yeah, it, trying to get them to take something seriously is often very difficult. So yeah, I'm just thinking back. So the last time I actually saw them was, or a lot of them was at a wedding of a mutual friend we were going to in, the wedding was in Portugal. We were all flying in from all over the place. And one of my Egyptian friends was doing a reading at the wedding, you know, and for most people you're like, okay, I'm going to take it, you know, this is important and I need to learn and, and I need to rehearse. No, you know, Yasmin just didn't and then, you know, was late to the wedding, but was just kind of laughing about it. And it was just, it, and it's so nice. I think, I mean, I don't know that I'll ever get to that level of lightheartedness, but, <laughs> but there is something about it that does kind of bring joy to, to everyone else. So yeah, I think that probably will definitely have had an impact on on the way that I bring humor to situations. Yes, yes. And they say that humor is the best medicine, right? Or laughter is the best medicine. Exactly. Um, I, I can relate. Also, I don't know if it, what it is about Europeans or that's how I think about it, but I definitely thought of my previous self as a lot more kind of a little bit more reserved, a lot more reserved and trying to be, you know, so professional or this and that. And I think part of it is also maybe looking for approval from others. But, you know, when I flip it on the other side and I look at, let's say, or I think of now my brother-in-law who, when he laughs, oh my God, it's like the most honest and cheerful laugh you'll ever hear. And then you'll just start laughing because he's laughing. It's amazing. You know, that, that type of energy is infectious. Absolutely. Yeah. People's energy. And again, now I talk about things like that. And my prior self would have been like, what are you talking about? But it is true. You know, finding people <laughs> really do bring light and bring energy and bring joy. I just, I'm so attracted to that now. I think that's, you know, in friendships and in, in even working relationships, you know, those are the sorts of people that I want to surround myself with. So yeah, it's, it is so important to be able to find that light. And, but I agree on the European thing. It's so interesting. I don't know if it is the, yeah, if it's the approval thing, or if it's certainly for the Brits, it's very much the stiff upper lip, you know, of just just hmm. don't talk about it, brush it under the carpet, everything will be fine. <laughs> and you're like, I don't think that's how it works. I think that's how generational trauma starts. And so, you know, unpacking a lot of that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Wow, this has been such a great conversation. I'm so glad that we made this happen. I've got just a few more questions for, for you. So number one, where can people find your book? Great question. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I have my own website is louisejohnsonauthor.com. You can buy it from there. The book is also stocked on Amazon. It is available on Kindle and Kobo as well if you're an e-reader. So it is all on there available to buy internationally on Amazon. 
Fantastic. And if somebody wants to hit you up on social media, where is the best place to find you? Mostly I am on Instagram. My Instagram handle is underscore Louise underscore Johnson and underscore at the end. Sorry, all the underscores. Quite frequently, I'm doing kind of a little teaser of each chapter on my on my feed at the moment as well. So still really sort of talking about the book. And I'm actually just about to relaunch next month, um, relaunch my website and my blog. So I'm really excited about that. It'll be still dating stories, but a lot more of kind of the other aspects of what I talk about in the book as well. Nice. Maybe next time we can talk about the world of dating. So many stories to tell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll keep that in mind. We can chat about that. <laughs> Last question for you. Uh, what does being a warrior mean to you? Wow. Great question. Being a warrior for me is probably about finding strength in what makes you feel alive. And I, you know, we sort of touched on a little bit of sort of authenticity before and, and vulnerability. And I think, you know, where you can feel most authentic, where you can feel safe to be vulnerable and where you can live, you know, if you're, if you're living life on no one's terms, but your own, I think that is being a warrior. I think that is certainly for me, how I, I think of kind of embodying that. Love it. Fantastic. Louise, thank you so much for taking the time on Sunday afternoon. I really appreciate that. I can't wait for our listeners to learn more about you, dive in more into your book, your blog, and to keep learning from you. Thank you so much. I so appreciate this. This was such a great chat. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you for spending some time with me and most of all, for investing time in yourself. If you found value in this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to our episodes. This will greatly help us spread the word and help others find it more easily. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Denny Timras. Shoot me a note and let me know what you thought of today's conversation. I always welcome any feedback or questions. Remember, now that you're here, you're part of a tribe. In this tribe, we care for each other. We lift each other up as well as share the raw, honest, unpolished truth that we often need to hear. So before you go, think about the next best action you can take to get you on your path to success. Don't wait for tomorrow. Make a commitment and do it now. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, have a great day.